Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a Dorian? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I have sinned against you, my lord. I want my MTV. Twenty-one years. Rediscovery of the years 1980 through 2001. With your host, Sam Williams. What's up, Culture Vultures? I hope everything is going well in your life. I appreciate you being here for this episode, and I appreciate everyone who um, listened to last week's episode, which was kind of our premiere episode where we talked about the Swatch, and we talked about the Just Say No campaign. Those were really fun topics to do, and I hope to bring you more entertaining topics as this show unfolds. Uh, Don't forget that we are available at Apple uh, iTunes now, and also we're available on uh, Google Play, um, Podbean, um, you know, uh, Pandora, and all these other things, wherever podcasts are available. Please go search us out. Uh, The easiest way is just go to Podbean and look us up 21 years and join us there. Subscribe. That way you get them all, or on our uh, iTunes is very popular too. So uh, please do that. It means a lot that you guys uh, would subscribe and follow. We'll be getting some social media together. In fact, we've already got a Twitter account together, uh, 21 years. um, Very easy to find. And uh, follow us there because we will release episodes there, and we'll share some things about pop culture in the 80s and 90s. And um, that's pretty much what we do here. In case you're a new listener and you didn't hear the premiere episode, Um, I'm basically your guide across the 80s and 90s. We talk about things within those years because, honestly, it's probably the greatest time in American pop culture history. Uh, It was just a really great run between 1980 and 2001. And so we've got about 21 years here of really, really great stories, um, changes to culture, changes to television, changes to music, everything. And um, our entertainment, I mean, it goes on and on. So a lot of things that we have now springboarded from the 80s and 90s, including the Internet and all of that good stuff, which we'll probably talk about in an episode. Um, but it, it really is a lot of fun to go back through um, a lot of things throughout history that I remember and hopefully you remember, too, and kind of just discuss them. I mean, I had somebody talking about the Swatch episode and was talking about, you know, uh, how much fun that was to remember the swatch. They had completely forgotten about it. So that was that was really nice to hear. And that's kind of what we do here. Again, these episodes, we're going to try not to make them really long. We just kind of want to touch on something that you 
uh, may enjoy listening to. We're not going to do this for two hours and all of that. I have other podcasts that do that right now, and it's very tiring and exhausting, for the, I'm sure, for the listener to hear me uh, and for myself, too, especially when it comes down to the editing process. So uh, we're going to try to keep these really short, simple, and sweet. Uh, hopefully none of these episodes go over 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, some will if we get into a more serious topic. I imagine when we do the Jim Baker scandal, that'll probably be a lot to discuss. <laughs> There's a lot that's involved with that scandal. Uh, and the Swaggart scandal, we'll probably do those those two together. Um, if we approach things like the uh, you know Clinton-Monica Lewinsky situation, that may end up being a little longer. OJ could be a little longer, but... Those are topics that most people remember and know a lot about. They're kind of hammered into the time of history. And that's really not what we do. So a lot of that stuff, you know, it's debating on whether do I want to do, you know, the suicide of Kurt Cobain and, and all of that. And I kind of just came to the conclusion, you know what? Everybody remembers that. Everybody knows about it. That's not what this show's supposed to be about. We may touch on those things. Maybe I watch a documentary and find out some interesting information that I didn't know before. And I may want to focus on that and do an episode on that. And that, that will happen from time to time. But a lot of the bigger things that happened when, when uh, this, this time period was going on, uh, a lot of people know about it. So this is, this is a lot about the things that you guys have kind of forgotten. And I've forgotten until I've gone back in history and kind of looked at it. And um, it wasn't too far in April for our next uh, topic to have happened. And we're going to go back to 1985, April of uh, 1985, when one of the biggest marketing blunders in history happened. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will very soon because it's all going to come rushing back to you if you were anywhere near uh, the age of youth in 1985. Because in 1985... Coca-Cola decided that they were going to change their recipe. And right now, a lot of you are going, oh my God, yes, I remember. Well, it was such a blunder that it only really lasted 79 days <laughs> until July 1985 when the, emergen when the emergency break came on. Everything skidded to a halt and they had to change things. But we're going to talk about why it happened, how it happened, and the results of it. Uh, because it's been a long time since anybody's talked to me about New Coke. I mean... The only thing about New Coke that's been recent is the Netflix show Stranger Things, where it's based in the 80s, which I got to be honest with you. I think Stranger Things is a really fun show. I don't think it's as great as everybody feels like it is. I, I've watched all the seasons, and I got to be honest with you. I think it kind of goes with what this show is kind of about. I think people really like Stranger Things. Because Stranger Things is a lot about 19, the 1980s. I mean, you know, the bicycles uh, and, of course, New Coke was was brought into last season. Um, you know, a lot of the 1980s toys and, and things and, and clothing and whatnot are featured in Stranger Things. And I think that that kind of makes Stranger Things an appealing uh, show to a lot of people. And I understand why. And I watch it and I do enjoy it, but... I'll be damned if that's not really confusing what's going on. People are in an upside down world and there are spiders that are huge and, you know, people are catching on fire and, you know, I don't understand the whole situation with the girl. I mean, I, you know, whatever. Listen, I like, you know, I like movies that are basically violence, nudity, and language. If those are the three things that are in the movie, I'm kind of in. You know, you give me one, I may not be in. You know, you're just going to give me, you know, violence. Maybe just nudity. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Man, that might work. 
But if it has violence, nudity, or language uh, at the beginning as a warning, I'm usually going to stay on there and just kind of see what I've got here, what secret gem I've just un- uncovered. So uh, Stranger Things is is a very interesting show, like I said. I just think that it's a little overrated, but I think because of the 80s uh, marketing that's been done in that show, it kind of appeals to a lot of people. But that was probably the last time I really saw a new Coke uh, brought into any kind of recent memory. And I think Coca-Cola, as a matter of fact, actually reintroduced new Coke for that for a short, limited time. So that was kind of cool that they did that. But but this change that they made was just a really, really bad failure. Um, And it should have been a really, really marketable uh, success. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as we as we jump into this. And so let's do it. Let's load up our flux capacitors. Uh, let's get our new Coke. Unbox your gremlins. We're going to jump into the story of new Coke. And as we know, Coke started in 1886. It's been a, a consumer staple for a very, very long time. And in the late 50s, Coke had outsold Pepsi by more than five to one. So they were quite on top in the 50s. And as we got to the 60s, things started to kind of change. And even though it built its dominance on one of the most powerful expressions of brand leadership ever, the brand itself started to find some problems up against its main competitor, Pepsi, in the 1960s. Now today, Coke produces more than 110 billion bottles. Every second, more than 20,000 drinks are purchased around the globe. That adds up to more than 1 million bottles a minute and nearly 500 billion, with a B, bottles per year. But there was a time when Coke began to doubt itself. In 1985, the Coca-Cola company had a lead over its chief competitor, Pepsi, with its flagship soft drink. But the market share had been slowly dropping, and really mainly in the last 15 years before that. Rival Pepsi-Cola continued to gain market share in the 1970s and 80s thanks in part to its aggressive campaign, the Pepsi Challenge, which consumers were taking blind taste tests and were surprised to learn they preferred the flavor of Pepsi over Coke. Needless to say, that information absolutely shocks the executives at Coca-Cola, because even though they didn't want to believe that the Pepsi Challenge worked in Pepsi's favor, to their own shock, their own taste challenge actually had blindfolded contestants choosing Pepsi over Coke. Something that seems pretty impossible nowadays, but it did happen. And company executives grew convinced that it's just because of the soda's taste and not because of the genius Pepsi marketing, which was basically targeting the Pepsi generation. But that was the reason for the declining market share. Starting in the 1960s, Pepsi began a clever campaign to chip away at Coke's top spot. Pepsi thought if Coke was the original, it was the choice of old people. Pepsi had to go against that number one position to win. Pepsi's solution was to focus on younger people with the theme Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. Pepsi made gains throughout the 70s and into the early 80s. It began to outsell Coke in supermarkets. Consumer preference for Coca-Cola was dipping, as was consumer awareness. Now, Coca-Cola's secret recipe had been tweaked several times, don't let them fool you, such as when changing sweeteners from cane sugar to beet sugar to corn syrup. But its taste had remained consistent. The new formula was developed from the company's effort to create a formula for Diet Coke, which was introduced in 1982. It found in top-secret taste tests that a sweeter version of the concoction beat out not only Pepsi, but the classic version of Coke itself. 
The fabled formula for Coca-Cola was changed, adopting a formula preferred in the taste test of nearly 200,000 consumers. Coke had taken two years and close to a quarter of a million taste tests, but finally they had a formula that was preferred over Pepsi in their own taste challenges. So on April 23rd, 1985, Coca-Cola company chairman and CEO Roberto Goizeta stepped before the press gathered at New York City's Lincoln Center to introduce the new formula, which he declared to be smoother, rounder, yet bolder, a more harmonious flavor. I mean, I kind of feel like Jeff Goldblum there, you know, it's uh, rounder and more harmonious and uh, oh, 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 it's uh, it's uh, sweeter and uh, yeah, yeah, it's got a better, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm crestfallen. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, that's my horrible Jeff Goldblum, who I feel, by the way, is a national treasure. But I digress on to the story at hand. But in reality, it was a sweeter version of Coke that rivaled its top competitor, Pepsi. Coke made its biggest mistake when they decided, rather than dividing its market share between two sugary sodas, Coca-Cola would discontinue its 99-year classic recipe. And they did this by locking the classic formula away in an Atlanta bank vault with the intention that it never, ever sees the light of day again. Because of this, consumers became outraged. The New York Stock Exchange shares of Coca-Cola began to drop while those of its rival began to rise. Pepsi gave its employees the day off and declared victory in a full-page newspaper advertisement that boasted, quote, after 87 years of going at it eyeball to eyeball, the other guy just blinked. Consumers began hoarding the old Coke in their homes, even filling their basements with the classic formula. Calls flooded not just to the 800-get-Coke phone line, but to the Coca-Cola home offices across the United States. By June 1985, the Coca-Cola company was getting 1,500 calls a day on its consumer hotline, compared with the 400 a day it did before taste change. People seemed to hold any Coca-Cola employee personally responsible for the change. Security guards, people who worked in accounting, people who were working on the assembly line were all held responsible by their neighbors and friends for the change in the Coke formula. A man in San Antonio, Texas drove to a local bottler and bought $1,000 worth of Coca-Cola. Even protest groups were formed, such as the Society for the Preservation of the Real Thing, and old Coca-Cola drinkers of America, which claimed to have recruited 100,000 in a drive to bring back old Coke. All these protest groups began popping up around the country. Songs were written to honor the old taste of the classic cola. Protesters at a Coca-Cola event in downtown Atlanta in May carried signs with, We want the real thing, and our children will never know refreshment. The outrage caught Coca-Cola executives by surprise. They felt they had hardly made a rash decision on making the change. I mean, they did have the taste test uh, by Pepsi and by Coke, and they also did the taste test with the new formula uh, that was much sweeter, which was preferred over Coke and Pepsi. After all, they had performed all of these blind taste tests in the U.S. and Canada. The problem, though, is that the company had underestimated loyal drinkers' emotional attachment to the brand. Coke rationally, in its defense, had done everything it was supposed to do. But they forgot to ask one very, very important question, which is, if you like the new formula, if we switched it with the old formula, 
Would you be happy about that? Because Coke had actually been part of America for over 100 years at this point. It was woven into the fabric of its citizens, an American company whose product was enjoyed all over the world, not to mention the emotional and sentimental value the brand had built over the years with its consumer. So 79 days after their initial announcement, Coca-Cola executives once again hold another press conference on July 11th, 1985 this time to announce that they've made a mistake and we're going to return the original formula to shelves under the label Coca-Cola Classic. In a strong statement, Coca-Cola announced, our boss is the consumer. We want them to know we're really sorry. The news was so momentous that television networks broke from normal programming with special reports on the change back to the original Coca-Cola formula. Coca-Cola Classic was sold alongside Coca-Cola New Coke and the two brands had distinct advertising campaigns. With the youth leading edge catch the wave campaign for the new taste of Coke and the emotional red, white, and you for the Coca-Cola Classic version. Coca-Cola Classic quickly outsold new Coke and within few months had turned to its position as the top-selling sugar cola at Hef Pepsi. The company rebranded the new formula Coke 2 in 1990 before it was eventually abandoned in 2002. Coke executives may have underestimated the deep emotional attachment to their original formula, but the same could be said for the consumers. We all kind of forgot how much Coke meant to us, how much we loved it, and how attached we actually were to it. Perhaps both parties took each other for granted. Let this be a warning to Dr. Pepper. We like you just the way you are. But I kind of like to challenge those who say that new Coke was a failure for Coca-Cola. In reality, I think if it had just started with both drinks on the market, new Coke and Coca-Cola Classic, Coca-Cola Classic and New Coke would probably still be around today. I tried New Coke, and I thought it was really good. It was a lot sweeter than the original version, as we talked about earlier, but the anger inside of me, like everybody else, was the fact that it just made no sense to really take away the original formula. At the end of the day, though, it's not a failure because we see the results of what happened. Down the road here, as Coca-Cola is introducing New Coke... And as people are getting outraged, they're beginning to appreciate the product that originally was there. And really, therefore, the sales increase substantially once Coca-Cola Original comes back. So was it really a failure? I think in itself, 79 days is not a marketing failure when it does its job and produces more, more of your products sold. So I don't think it was a complete failure. I think New Coke actually gave Coca-Cola new life, if that can be something we can say here. So the New Coke gave the old Coca-Cola life. Everybody's happy to have the original formula back. Everybody appreciates what they had, and things are good again. Uh, and honestly, like when it said that Coke 2, which was the new name for New Coke, was off the shelves in 2002, that really surprises me because I honestly... Guys, I don't even remember like Coke 2 being on the shelves in the 2000s. That really baffles me. Um, and maybe it was being sold in certain places, but I live close to um, where Coca-Cola is based in um, Atlanta. And i got to be honest, I, I, I swear I don't remember Coke 2 being on the shelves in 2002, but that just could be selective memory. Maybe I put it out. And now I'm kind of wishing that I had you know tried it more. <laughs> 
Um, but, you know, look, Pepsi's not off the hook either. I mean, we did a whole Pepsi Crystal Pepsi campaign, uh, Crystal Blueberry, um, Hot Pepsi. It was a really weird time for Pepsi because it seems like after all of that happened, Pepsi kind of goes into the 90s almost in an, a complete tailspin itself. But the one thing that Pepsi did do that Coke didn't do was keep the original product on the shelves, which made the failure of Crystal Pepsi less of an issue, really, because it was just kind of another product that they just decided to discontinue. And I'll be honest with you, I really liked Crystal Pepsi, too. I thought it was a great drink. I liked the blueberry Pepsi. I thought it was good, and I never did the cinnamon one. I believe it was some kind of hot cinnamon Pepsi uh, that they did. I know they did a strawberry, too, and it was a weird time for Pepsi. They kind of got lost in the 90s a little, uh, much much like Coke did in uh, in the 80s here. But at the end of the day, they're both... You know they're a big part of our society, and I think it's uh, I think it's an awesome thing, man. Because I like I like a nice cold Coke and I like a nice cold Pepsi too. So I am uh, not a biased person. Listen, I've had a lot of fun doing this episode. Hopefully, you've enjoyed listening to it. Uh, again, please follow us on Podbean, uh, Apple iTunes, um, you know, where and Google Play. Amazon also has our um, show on there. So wherever you like to get uh, podcasts, please look us up, follow us, subscribe, and uh, tell other people about us. We really appreciate it. Uh, we put a lot of effort into this, and it's a lot of fun. So hopefully next week we're going to have something really fun for you guys. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. We try to do things on the anniversary month. Um, so, and this episode, of course, uh, April was the time that new Coke was coming out, uh, getting ready for the spring. And so that's why this, uh, kind of hit at the right time. So we try to do things on anniversary. So we're going to go look in the, um, the annals of history. Did I say that right? Annals of history. We're going to go dig ourselves into the annals of history and we are going to find uh, a really neat thing to, to talk about. I think maybe next week might be on Waco. Um, and we'll do that at times. We'll, we'll do a new story because basically, you know, when you're kind of at the age we were, when all this was going on, MTV was hot and heavy. Beach MTV was something that we watched all summer. And, uh, we, uh, at times did not have our heads into the news. Uh, thank God that's probably the best thing that could have happened to us. But, uh, I think because of that, we understood that Waco was happening, but we didn't understand why Waco was happening. Um, so we're going to go back and maybe dissect that. That might be next week's show. I can't promise that. Depends on how, how much detail I've got to get into because I do work another job, folks, believe it or not. So we'll maybe explore Waco next week. But uh, it'll be something fun, I guarantee you. It'll be something you've forgotten about that you know you want to hear the story behind because you remember it but maybe don't remember all of it. And that's what we're here to do. And so we're having a blast doing it. Please, like I said, subscribe. Please keep following us. I'm Sam, the El Dangeroso. That means the dangerous. That's my name when I drink. So that's what we're going with. And uh, this is 21 years. I hope you all had fun. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you all have a wonderful Easter and a wonderful spring. Hopefully the pollen is not too bad. It's messing with my allergies, but hopefully that will clear up. A couple of rain clouds will help that. But uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a great one. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to 21 Years. I'm Sam. Mm-hmm.